This is Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. A new art space in Chicago is making a bold statement on the future of Native art. The Center for Native Futures is devoted to artists interested in visualizing the future and blazing new paths. It's a nonprofit that says it wants to be the center of Native creativity in the heart of one of the nation's largest cities. The grand opening is tomorrow, and we'll hear from the center's organizers and some of the artists about the vision for what's in store. We're back after the news. This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. As wildfire seasons get longer and more intense, some air quality experts are helping people learn more about how to protect their health, as Rachel Cohen of the Mountain West News Bureau reports. About 15 adults take their seats in the classroom on the Nez Perce Reservation in north central Idaho. John Abulafentis invited them here this Wednesday night for an air quality workshop. Some things about uh, indoor air, outdoor air. Bulafentis works for the tribe's air quality department. Pollution on the reservation has come from agricultural burning and a nearby paper mill. But now, she tells me, wildfire smoke is the main problem. This is what we're going to continue to see with climate change is increased and more frequent wildfires, which if you have fire, you have smoke. Mansell Nelson is with the Institute for Tribal Environmental Professionals at Northern Arizona University. He's critical of the long-standing public health guidance for avoiding wildfire smoke. The general advice to go indoors always makes me cringe. Why? Because the smoke doesn't stay outside. In many cases, indoor environments are almost as bad as outdoor and can even be worse. Willa Fentis hopes to change that. So tonight on the reservation, she's offering a lesson on air filtration and eliciting some laughs along the way. Okay, why we're all here She's also giving away free portable air cleaners to tribal members. Recipients include families with young children who have asthma and tribal elders, those who have higher health risks from smoke. The cleaners stand about two feet tall and filter out more than 99% of smoke particles. Bulafentis ordered 242 of them using funds from a state emergency preparedness grant. People in the class talk about where they'll put the cleaner in their house. Yeah, living room or the beginning of the hallway, right? Outside, they pick up their own filters from the back of a minivan to take home. The next week, the air quality program will host another class on the opposite side of the reservation to hand out filters to more tribal members. I'm Rachel Cohen. A cash prize fishing derby has proven to be an effective tactic against invasive bass in southern Oregon. As KLCC's Brian Bull reports, it's all to help safeguard salmon, prized by the Coquel tribe. Almost 12,000 fish have been reeled in since last year by anglers as part of the annual Smallmouth Bass Derby. The event is hosted by the Port of Coquille River and sponsored by the Coquille Tribe, Oregon Department of Fish and Wildlife, and 3J Ranches. Brenda Mead, chair of the Coquille Indians, says this helps reduce a major scourge in local waterways. They are just eating machines on the river and they're eating those salmon smolt. Salmon, there would be a huge loss culturally significant to our ceremonies, to traditional foods, to uh, just our way of life. Mead says state conservation officials estimated a 99% drop in returning salmon in local waterways over a 10-year period. 
The second annual derby started in June and has been extended to October 1st. There are 80 tagged fish that can win anglers prizes with amounts ranging from $50 up to $10,000. I'm Brian Bull. Tribal leaders were among those to remember the life of former New Mexico Governor Bill Richardson as a funeral mass was held this week in Santa Fe. Pueblo leaders say Richardson helped them prosper in many ways as governor and as a member of Congress by improving social services, infrastructure, health care, education, and they say he helped provide incentives for business development, gaming, and ensured religious freedom. Under his leadership, the state's Indian Affairs was elevated to a cabinet-level department. He passed away in his sleep in Massachusetts earlier this month at age 75. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support by Sanofsky Chambers Law, championing tribal sovereignty and Native American rights since 1976, from opioids litigation to treaty rights to tribal self-governance, with offices in Washington, D.C., New Mexico, California, and Alaska. Sanofsky Chambers Law. Support by Vision Maker Media, envisioning a world changed and healed by understanding Native stories and the public conversations they generate. 45 plus years of Native stories and Indigenous knowledge through film and media can be found at visionmakermedia.org. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. This is Native America Calling. A first-of-its-kind gallery and creative space is staking out the heart of downtown Chicago as the future of Native art. The Center for Native Futures celebrates its grand opening tomorrow. Organizers say the space dedicated to contemporary Native artists interested in visualizing the future. Illinois has no resident tribes that are fairly recognized, but the city of Chicago was one of several urban locations that saw an influx of Native families moving from reservations across the country as part of the federal government's Indian Relocation Program in the mid-1950s. We'll visit with the founders and artists involved with the new center this hour, and we invite you, our listener, to join us. How do you envision Native art of the future? Which Native artists are currently pushing boundaries and laying the groundwork for the art our children, grandchildren, and even our great-grandchildren will someday appreciate? Share your thoughts by calling one 800 9962848 and with that let's go ahead and meet our guests. In Chicago, Illinois, we're joined by Deborah Yepa Papan. She's a co-founder and co-director of the Center for Native Futures and she is a visual artist. She's Amos Pueblo and Korean. Hello Deborah, welcome to Native America Calling. Hello, thank you for having me. Noelle Garcia is also in Chicago. She's an assistant professor of art at National Lewis University, and she is an artist in residence at the Center for Native Futures. She's Klamath. Hi, Noelle. Great to have you on the show. Hi. Thanks for having me. And joining us from Madison, Wisconsin, is artist Jason Wiesaw. He is Potawatomi. Jason, welcome. Hey, it's good to be here. Looking forward to the conversation. I'm looking forward to the conversation, too. And with that, our fourth guest is in Peoria, Illinois, Hattie Lee Mendoza. She is a mixed-media artist 
and a citizen of the Cherokee Nation. Thanks for joining us, Hattie. Hello, thank you. Glad to be here. Let's go ahead and start this conversation. And Deborah, I want to begin by congratulating you. The Center for Native Futures is opening this weekend. And for people who might not be familiar with the term Native Futures, what can they expect to see? Oh, um, well, first of all, thank you so much. This is exciting. Um, I'm a, I can't say that I'm not a little nervous about our opening, um, but this has been a long time coming and I'm glad that, you know, we're finally, our space is coming to fruition. But, um, you know, I think we, we talk about, you know, native or indigenous futurism and sometimes I feel like futurism kind of, um, there's this kind of expectation that futurism needs to be something that's, you know, about science fiction and, you know, like creating some sort of fantastical future, um, which, you know, that could be the case too. But um, for us, you know, I feel like what we're doing is we're really just trying to, um, you know, create this presence of Native art here in the city of Chicago, where it's just been absent for so long, and especially opportunities for Native artists is very minimal. Um, and we want to fill that void um, and, you know, take this into the future. So for us, it's literally thinking about that future and not just imagining what the future can be for us as Native artists or for just us as Native people. It's realizing what our future um, should be and can be. So dedicating this gallery, Native Futures, a, a, a whole gallery dedicated to this whole concept of, of the future and what that might mean for different Native people. That seems like a bold move. I mean, going all in like this, specifically on this type of genre or this approach. Um, did you have anybody say, hey, hey, hold on a second. Maybe you should kind of make it more based on like previous art, historical art and things like this. Or what was what was the feedback um, you got? Fortunately, you know, I no, nobody, uh, nobody has tried to hold us back. However, if they did, we wouldn't let them. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I. Chris, my husband, Chris, and I, Chris, Chris Papan, um, who is also a visual artist, um, and he's pretty well known, and he is also one of the co-founders. Um, you know, we're both contemporary artists, and we're, you know, we're con Native people, we're contemporary people. And, you know, that's, that's something that we try to bring across in the art that we make. Um, of course, we're inspired by and motivated and influenced by the past and history and our ancestors. But, you know, I mean, if you think about our ancestors, they were contemporary people in their time. So, you know, why do we need to stick ourselves into that past? You know, why we're, we're present, we're very present and we're very contemporary. And that's the kind of art that we want to share. That's the kind of message we want people to learn. Um, you know, Chicago is sadly one of those places where there's been so much erasure of Native people and Native presence that um, people are just very, very ignorant. Um, and I feel like, you know, this having this gallery space where we can express ourselves through our art and our artwork, because, you know, visual visual language is that first language. It's that eye catcher. It's what brings people in. And I think that's really going to help. Um, you know, educate those people that come into the space and they see our art and then they see who we are as contemporary people, I think is really important. Um, and aside from, I mean, I, I think only now this, having this gallery space is so important for, to have that presence. 
but you know our true dream our bigger dream and maybe our 10-year goal is to have our own you know art center like have an, our own building where we can have um you know different studio spaces where you know native artists can all come together and you know we can work within proximity of each other have our own studios and just really create that really strong you know arts community um but you know in our way with our values mm -hmm. well as we noted at the, at the beginning of the show uh chicago was one of the indian relocation program hubs and Tell us a little bit more about the current uh, Native American community there in Chicago and how the gallery will support that community and vice versa. Yeah, there's, a, you know, Chicago, um, because of the relocation program and, you know, being a very urban metropolitan, um, you know, city, um, there we have one of the largest, uh, you know, Native populations in the country. Um, however, there, you know, our, our presence is here and our presence is strong when you can find the community. But, um, you know, just because of the ignorance of people that live in here, you know, in Chicago, in the Midwest, they don't often see us, but, you know, they don't see us because they're expecting to see, you know, like the stereotypical Indian, right? So because there's like, you know, this, this artwork that was created like in the late 1800s, early 1900s by mostly white and, you know, European artists around the city depicting native people in very stereotypical ways. And so, um, you know, that's, that's what people expect to see when they're looking for native people, if they're even looking for us at all. And so, you know, a lot of, I think what we're doing um, as, you know, I mean, living in the city too is, it, it's, this is an expensive city. You know, people are also just trying to survive and trying to get by. Um, and so, you know, but I feel like the community here has always been, um, you know, so much strong and, you know, people pulling together um, whenever, you know, we need people. Um, I'm hoping that, you know, our community will support this. I, I, I think that, you know, we need more opportunities to encourage young people to appreciate art and to, um, you know, become artists. And, you know, hopefully we will get to that point where we can offer, you know, like more um, like workshops and, you know, things where, you know, we as uh, professional working artists can share our expertise with, you know, young emerging um, artists or, you know, young people. But I think the first step, too, is just appreciation for what contemporary art is. Now, Deborah, we're going to talk with some of the featured artists uh, at the gallery later in the show. But can you just give us kind of a sneak peek? Like, what are some of the, the mediums that are on display? What are some of the styles? Because it, it's very clear that this uh, this gallery, it's more than just paintings and, and pottery and things like that. I mean, there's some really cutting edge type of art that's taking place, right? Yeah. I, I mean, I'm just, I have goosebumps just even thinking about, um, you know, what we're, what we're able to share here in our gallery, but it's, it's a very wide range and, um, you know, of, of different types and styles of art. There's like, you know, there's textiles with, with beads, but, you know, like not traditional beadwork. There's, um, you know, collage, there's, um, we, today, I'm just so excited about this piece. We just got a piece from um, our very good friend and artist X, um, who hand-tufted uh, two rugs 
um, that are in the shape of these giant hands. And they're so bright and colorful. And um, we just installed them today, and I'm really excited. So, you know, we've got works like that. We've got photography. There's printmaking. But it's not like traditional printmaking on, you know, on two-dimensional paper. Um, but, but we have that too, though. Um, and, and, yes, of, of course, we've got very skilled painters and very skilled drawers as well. So, um, and, uh, you know, traditional um, black ash basket weaver, but creating like a diverse form. So, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a wide gamut of, um, you know, just different kinds of art that people are creating. Deborah, we're going to take a break here in about a minute, but how large is this space? How many square feet? We have about, uh, I think it's 36 or 3,800 square feet. Um, and we do have a small studio that we built in the back of the gallery, which is where, um, Noelle Garcia is doing her artist um, in residence program, or, or she's doing the residency. I'm actually speaking from her studio right now. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, this all sounds so exciting and so visionary. And Deborah, I just want to wish you best of luck on tomorrow's grand opening. Uh, exciting stuff here. We're talking about on Native America calling a gallery, first of its kind gallery opening in Chicago, Illinois, tomorrow, the Center for Native Futures. Phone lines are open, folks. If you've got questions or comments about our show today, Native Futurism, very interesting topic. 1-800-99-NATIVE, that's our number to call. Hundreds of Native-owned businesses face a new hurdle in the wake of the recent U.S. Supreme Court ruling on affirmative action. The decision on college admissions has far-reaching implications, and a federal program that supports Native small businesses added new restrictions. We'll hear how Native businesses are affected on the next Native America Calling. I'm Michael, and I used to smoke. I never used to think about breathing. Then my left lung collapsed and I was diagnosed with COPD. Now I think about breathing all the time. I'm on an oxygen machine so I can breathe. I take medicine so I can breathe. My tip is enjoy the breaths you don't have to think about. You don't know how long you'll have them. Smoking can cause COPD. You can quit. For free help, visit cdc.gov slash quit now. A message from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. You're listening to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. Native futures and futurisms in art is our focus today. What do you think the future holds for Native art? What types of subjects and themes will draw our attention in the generations to come? What types of mediums will allow those ideas to come to life? And perhaps most importantly, who among our contemporary Native artists are paving the way to that future? Let us know at one 800 996 2848. Let's bring our next guest into the conversation now, Noel Garcia, who is an artist in residence at the Center for Native Futures. And hello again, Noel. And uh, tell us a little bit more about your vision for the future of Native art. Oh, yeah. Um, I don't know if any of you guys are Star Trek fans, um, but if any of you are, there's this episode, I think it's the first one where um, Cisco, Commander Cisco, meets these 
aliens and the aliens are telepathic and they're probing his mind. And he's trying to explain to the aliens how he sees uh, linear time or how humans understand linear time. And the aliens are like, wait, but it's not linear because you're thinking about someone you lost and she's here with you right now. So really time is like, uh, well, well, anyways, I I nerded out on that and I'm the way I think about time. (laughs) I'll tell you what, Noel. Before what? the show, Deborah was teasing me about my age and some of the references I made. And here we are talking about oh. Star Trek now. <laughs> but no, no, this is cool. I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm envisioning this, right? Like this linear perspective of time in the episode. So tell us more. Yeah, so the way I think about time is the, the present, the contemporary is a intersection of the past and the future. And you need both to create the present, right? Um, And so I think I kind of take that approach with all of my work. So like, um, so my piece in this show is a umbrella stroller, but that's made with the materials that you'd make um, a cradle board with. And I think this object is like this perfect representation of who I am as a contemporary indigenous person. Right. It's like my new age Well, the umbrella strollers, like our new papoose or like cradle board. Right. It's really light and efficient and well balanced and you can kind of like take it everywhere. Um, so, I mean, that's kind of part of what I see. But then also, like, I just I think it's really great how present we are. Like we're, we're so close to so many really big, uh, high ranking art schools. And having gone to art school myself, like, I don't recall ever seeing, like, Native Americans present at all in art. And now we're just highly visible and, like, highly contemporary. And and when you get a chance to see the gallery, you really see um, that in everyone's work. Like, you're not going to go in there and be like, oh, yeah, this was made in the 1800s. No, these are all, like, present-day people. And it's, uh, anyhow, it's super exciting. And especially as an educator, I'm, like, thrilled absolutely (laughs) yeah (laughs) well noel tell us more about your role as artist in in residence what all will you be doing um uh uh, that's a good question um (laughs) well (laughs) well definitely i i have my studio space down there um for right now mark tell through the end of the year um so it's it's really great making a lot of work um uh there's scheduled and just kind of informal studio visits that happen and it's great I get to meet like really young students that are asking about art or just other artists or um, people that work in nonprofit nonprofit so it's it's not necessarily written on paper but I'm you know I'm there and I believe in what the gallery's for and um, you know uh, I, I participate in artist talks, stuff like that. But hopefully we're, we're, we have like ideas for the future. Like what one thing we were thinking about is no nonsense November. We're like all of us just kind of take a break from all the people that are asking us to do special projects for them for <laughs> Native History Month. Um, and I just like, I, um, you know, I'm going to be there for it. I, I'm hoping to like have workshops that have absolutely nothing to do with contemporary art or just weird stuff. I just, I'm looking forward to having um, space and time with other people and that are indigenous and just feeling, you know, comfortable and like myself, okay. because, you know, when you wander around in these cities, 
Um, and as a native, it's you, you kind of have to pretend to be someone else, I guess, to fit in. Mm. And when you're in this space with all these other native artists and people, like you can, you can let your hair down and like really feel comfortable. And like everyone's mannerisms are totally what I've seen throughout my whole life. So I, it's uh, that part brings me a lot of joy. And I don't know, I'm totally rambling with my answer, but <laughs> well, I think you're on to this. No nonsense November. I think you're on to yeah. something there. That sounds really cool. So, anyway, let's go ahead and take a caller now. We have Jen who is listening online in East Texas. Good morning, Jen. Thank you so much for taking my call. I'm glad I got on uh, just in time as you're talking about Star Trek and futuristic artists and so forth. And I don't know if you're aware of Chase Earls, E A R L E S. He is a Caddo um, artist, and he he ha- he digs his own clay, makes beautiful pottery that the ancestors make, and at the same time he makes wonderful futuristic images. Like right now, I'm looking at uh, a Star Trek image, uh, you know, a guy with a skull and a face like Star Trek. But okay. this clay has been drawn from the ground. And it's fired above ground as Chase Earls does. And I've seen many of his demonstrations. And if you get onto Facebook, you can find all of his work. And he's he's been accepted around across the globe in galleries and museums, including Dallas Museum. He's just awesome. I had to tell you about him. Okay. And, and the name? Chase Earls? Chase Earls. Chase Earls. I can't say his Caddo name, which is K A H. W I N H U T Earls E A R L A S. All if right. You just Google him right now, he'll pop up. Okay, Jen, thank you for that call. And and Noel, our caller talks about a, an artist that's also doing some Star Trek stuff. And I just see this stuff all over. Like I was at Indian Market last month, and there's all kinds of people doing like Star Wars stuff. So this is big, right? Some, I mean, earlier we heard Deborah say it's not all about the sci-fi stuff, native futurism, but but that is a part of it, right, Noel? I think, I mean, there's something in there. Like, uh, it was funny, it's one of my favorite pieces of Deborah's is actually like a piece. Uh, I think, it, I don't remember if it has Spock in it, but I know it definitely has an enterprise and someone's making a live long in Foster. Or maybe it's like a, is it Deborah? Dressed Let's up ask Deborah. Deborah, <laughs> is this one of your pieces? Yeah, she's talking about live long and prosper. Spock was a half breed, um, and it's a <laughs> digital image that I created um, in 2008, which has actually been um, like that was the first time I heard about indigenous futurism when somebody kind of tagged that piece as being, you know, indigenous futurist, and um, that that kind of became like the poster child um, for you know like indigenous futurist art, and it. Yeah, it's been all over the globe, actually, that image. So, yeah. Spock was a half-breed. I love it. That is just classic there. And uh, let's go ahead and bring uh, another guest in the conversation now, Jason, who is Potawatomi, and he's one of the featured artists. And uh, Jason, I know that Chicago, that is the traditional homelands of your Potawatomi people. And Tell us a little bit more about the stories you're going to share with your art that's featured at the gallery. Yeah, the piece that I created for this show is um, 
it literally talks about being in the middle of it. So that doesn't necessarily mean um, the Potawatomi people being in the middle of Chicago, uh, though historically in the present day and into the future, we certainly know that we will be. But what that what that piece is really talking about, too, is how our traditional culture and our ceremonies and the stories that we have alive in all of our communities, as human beings, it centers us and gives us this idea of respect and like we have a specific place in this circle of life. So we have this real, this sensitivity, but at the same time, this progressiveness about the way our communities have always thought about life and how we maintain our health and how we maintain relationships and such. So that's a lot of uh, the themes that I address in my work. And much of it is, is based upon relation to the land and relationship to other human beings and relationships to the spirits that are out there. Well, tell us more about the, the pieces that are, are going to be on display there. What types of medium do you use and uh, what's your style? Uh, the piece that I created is uh, from my blanket series that has been an ongoing series of, I don't know, about four or five years in length now. Um, it's mixed media textiles. It involves a lot of uh, collecting natural dyes, using those as pigments, uh, actually dyeing fabrics, uh, using sewing machines, but also a lot of hand sewing as sort of a nod to all of those traditional crafts that, uh, you know, dressed and clothed and, uh, you know, housed our people so beautifully since the beginning of time. Um, but then I also use ornamentation on my work a lot as a way of kind of like inducing or, or giving a nod to um, our spirit helpers. So I say spirit a lot, but spirituality and our, our traditional faith systems have a lot to do with with the work that I make, because I believe our old ways are extremely relevant in the modern times. And a lot of our own people, the struggles that they go through in, in today's world, I feel like a lot of those things can be cast aside when you have a strong identity about who you are as a native person and how that can direct you through this madness of modern society. Yeah, that really does really does Jason really uh, puts a, a fine point on on this topic today and and I want to go back to Noel because Noel I just keep hearing about these really really interesting uh, inspiring types of artwork and and this opportunity for education through the gallery is just so significant so tell us a little bit more about how you think the public will become educated and again you know there's a lot of non-natives in Chicago will have the opportunity to, to interact with natives, maybe for the first time. And this just sounds like a huge teachable moment, Noel. Yeah, um, we're really fortunate in our location. We're like three blocks west of the Art Institute of Chicago, um, uh, School of the Art Institute of Chicago, Columbia, a few other colleges, but also like really uh, well-known uh, cultural institutions like the Chicago Cultural Center. Um, so, like, we're in a really wonderful spot, and it has a really wonderful storefront. So even just people, you know, going go to work in Chicago, there for art, artist tourism. I mean, across the street from us is a, a Caldwell sculpture in front of a – I mean, he's not indigenous, but it's still like a – real. 
you know, it's an important piece of public art. So we're just in a really wonderful spot to just get seen, be seen by people that weren't even looking for us. But I mean, there's so much potential for like students to just have field trips and walk over and check out the work. Um, But also just like partnerships with all the other art events that go on in Chicago, like Expo. And, um, you know, these are big things in the United States in um, contemporary art galleries. And we get to be part of that conversation, um, which is really exciting. It really is. And some of these potential partners, these colleges you mentioned, other galleries, nonprofits in town, what are they saying? Have you reached out to them yet? And are they excited about potential partnerships in the future? Well, I think Deborah might know a little bit more about that, but the people that I have spoken to, because I've, you know, worked in the Chicago nonprofit uh, sector for a few years uh, prior to uh, being with Center for Native Futures. Um, but yeah, everyone that I talked to is very excited. They want to see how they can interact and participate. And um, we're still kind of like, I, I watched Deborah kind of feeling that out and making really um, astute and well thought out decisions on like who we're going to interact with, how will that, uh, you know, impact all of the artists that are associated with, with the center. And um, I mean, I'm pretty optimistic. I'm, I, okay. I think if we, we could have our pick of like any partners we wanted to, <laughs> okay. because it seems like people are really looking forward to it. Right. Right. Uh, Deborah, tell us more about the grand opening tomorrow. What types of events do you have planned? Uh, what's the agenda like? First of all, um, we're going to start with a VIP reception um, for Native community only. Um, so that'll be the first hour from 3 to 4 Central Time. Um, because, you know, it's just it's so important that you know, for us to, you know, like, who are we here for? And who are we here for first? You know, for me, um, Native people and Native community will always be my priority. Um, so this is our way of saying, you know, we, we prioritize our community and we're here for you first. Um, so they get to have first glimpse um, in the VIP, um, you know, reception. Um, and then at four o'clock, um, we open to the public. Um, we'll have a round of introductions um, from, you know, from myself and uh, my colleagues, my other uh, co-founders, our board members, um, and the artists will introduce the artists. Um, and then we also have a special performance by Frank Waln, who is a Chichangu Lakota hip hop artist who lives here in Chicago. Um, he's been a very good um, long friend of mine. Um, and, you know, it's our way of also showing that, you know, we support artists, musical artists like Frank. Um, we have a part of the display, too, part of the exhibition will in also include um, a dance performance video by my daughter, Jihei Yepopapan, um, and another program that we support called Ties, um, which is dedicated to um, supporting, uh, you know, poets that are um, LGBTQ or Two-Spirit. Um, so, you know, we, it's not just visual art. There's a lot of those other things happening. We also have um, catering that will be provided by Kitsa Pan and Kitchen, um, Chef Jessica Walksburst, who is a Menominee um, chef who uh, she's professionally trained and one of the very few, or I think the only um, Native-owned catering business here in the city of Chicago. So um, lots of exciting stuff and just mingling, people just hanging out. 
All right. And Deborah, you take another break here in about another minute. But for folks that are not in the city of Chicago, is there any way that they can participate or be able to see some of the, the displays? Um, I would just encourage people to come here, um, if not for the opening, um, come throughout um, throughout the year or through the, the show is open till May 17, 2024. Um, and I just highly encourage people to come and see it in person. All right. So the Center for Native Futures in Chicago, Illinois, grand opening tomorrow. And uh, sure would like to get another call. Uh, this whole term, futurisms, native futurism, uh, some people might not be familiar with it. So if you have any more questions, you'd like to get a little bit more information on what that means, give us a call. We've got answers on the show today. 1-800-996-2848. We'll be right back. Did you know that there could be a silent killer inside your home? You may know it, carbon monoxide. It's a poisonous gas that can't be seen or smelled, yet it can kill a family in a matter of minutes. You can protect yours by installing carbon monoxide alarms throughout your home. Find more on the dangers of carbon monoxide and additional safety information at cpsc.gov. Support by the U.S. Consumer Product Safety Commission. This is Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. There is still time to join our conversation about Native futurisms in art. Give us a call, 1-800-996-2848. And if you'd like to see some of the art we're talking about, we've shared photos of artwork from our guests today on Instagram and Facebook. Check them out. And uh, we're going to go ahead and bring our next guest, Hattie Lee Mendoza, into the conversation in just a minute. But before we do that, let's take another caller. We have Chanupa, who is listening on Keeley up in Pine Ridge, South Dakota. How are you doing today, Chanupa? Hey, I'm doing great, Sean. Thank you for having me. For you artists, if you guys can call me back, 605-517-2621, I want to share this uh, drawing I did, okay? The lady, she's a good friend of ours. She's a Blackfeet woman that passed away last month on August 4th. Her name is Apuyaki. I'm an artist, too. One of my future pictures is on indigenous music uh, called The Things We Do. My artwork's on there. It's got a Blackberry warrior on it, okay? So I'm doing this painting for Miss Jenny Marie Menihides, who passed away. So she also has a name called Apuyaki. So with the art, I was telling some of the people out here that if you're going to do art, put a song of what that art means. Like for her name, Apuyaki, that her song goes like this. Apuyaki, so that song is in remembrance of her drawing I'm doing for her. Okay. So I wanted to ask that question to those um, artists, if they have music behind the art that they do. And thank you for taking my call, uh, Sean. Thank you. All right, Chanupa, thank you for that call and for that song as well. Really appreciate you. And uh, Noel, if you could respond to Chanupa briefly, uh, is there a musical component to some of the exhibits and, and the whole theme of the Center for Native Futures? I can't say I haven't been in the studio for a few days. Um, I can't say if I saw anything that related to music. Um, or song, perhaps. Or no, no song. 
I don't see any song stuff just yet, but I might be mistaken. But um, I'm not big into adding uh, sound or music into my artwork, but I really hope we can get some sound artists okay, or uh, uh, interdisciplinary artists uh, working with the gallery in the future. All righty. Thank you for that response, Noel. And let's go ahead and bring Hattie Lee Mendoza into our conversation now, mixed media artist, citizen of the Cherokee Nation. Hattie, hi. Thanks again for joining us. Hi, thank you. Good to be here. Absolutely. And I know you're very passionate about collecting objects that represent your family history, and you're one of the featured artists here at the gallery. How does your art reflect that, your passion for collecting family history? Yeah, so... Um, I actually, when I moved for grad school to Illinois, I moved in with my grandmother on my mom's side, and um, she has collected a lot of things through the generations. So a lot of that has played into my studio practice, um, objects from my great-grandmother, um, who's my namesake, and from the Cherokee Nation. So a lot of it just comes back into my studio practice. The piece I'm showing at Center for Native Futures is actually a mixed media collage on encyclopedia covers and um, my mother because of my mother's side with has strong um, connections to the objects and materials in our family and things we've used and passed down um, i saw somebody was throwing out a set of encyclopedias and i it brought to mind all the stories and like um, nostalgia that my grandma and my mom have with their encyclopedia sets, even though by my time, we weren't really cracking them open to use them. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I heard all about how important they were and how my mom used to read them for fun and how expensive they were. So um, I wanted to give this set a different kind of life and put my own narrative and story into it. Um, from my perspective, um, as someone who is, um, I see myself as rebuilding our heritage from generations that have been um, removed for cultural and geographical reasons from um, indigenous community. So I used um, another book that was also being thrown out that was translated into English, German, and Spanish. So there's strips of that in my collage on these encyclopedia covers, and, as well as paint chips that someone was throwing out. And I've collaged them into basketry patterns in an abstract shape on them, and then made this installation on the wall and also kind of representing a basketry shape um, out of the way they're installed together. So yeah, lots of repurposing, um, thinking about family's past, mm -hmm. uh, but then also being excited um, with this idea of Indigenous Native futures, um, putting my voice into the contemporary art world now and having this dedicated space for that and for generations after me that might be also um, trying to reconnect and rebuild their family history. Hattie, I'm looking at a photograph right now of this piece, and it brings back memories of the old world book encyclopedia set that, that we had at my house when I was a kid. And I can remember thumbing through the pages and it was just, uh, it was a good way to spend a, an afternoon if you didn't have much, uh, you had some extra time on your hands. And listening to this conversation, Hattie, listening to you and the other artists, and it, it sounds like in many ways, you know, native futurism, it, it draws so much from the past, it draws from contemporary times, but then of course it does look to the future. And, and I just 
you know, I'm thinking about somebody here, a, a listener that, that has maybe never really thought of this term before, Native Futurism, or really had much interaction with this type of artwork. And what do you see as the future for Native art, Hattie? I mean, in, in 20 years, in 30 years, or in 100 years, what kind of art as Native people will appeal to us? And what kind of art do you think we'll be making? Oh, <laughs> uh, so many things, like basically anything, I don't like anything in the imagination. And I think what makes, sets us apart in some ways is that reverence of history and um, ancestors and elders and everything, but also using contemporary materials and contemporary um, media references or, you know, kind of just that fun and joy and creativity that, um, I don't know, like it's happening now at this show, you'll see so many examples of that. Um, and I can only see it expanding. I don't, I can't put it into words, but it's just so exciting and gives me so much hope for um, never, never having to be stuck in one media as an indigenous person and also being relevant in the overall um, art scene worldwide, not even just in our nation. Mm. Hattie, another question I have is it, it does seem like a lot of this Native Futurism movement, it seems like it's being driven uh, in many cases by by urban people, by urban artists, by urban galleries. And, and am I correct in thinking that? Does it appeal more to, to the urban Native audiences or just urban audiences in general or, uh, or, or not? Is there a, a burgeoning Native Futurism movement uh, in tribal communities as well? I think, yeah, I think it's everywhere. I think the more we see and are influenced by platforms in um, urban centers, it, it influences everywhere as well. Like if you see something happening in one place, then it gives voice to those already doing it in the smaller communities, um, which is, it's just exciting to have that growing and expanding. Okay. And I want to ask the, uh, Jason, we saw the same question. Jason, do you think futurism is is, is more urban-based and more designed to appeal to urban people, or is it uh, Native community-based as well? No, I think it can be both at the same time. We have these conversations within our communities all the time about how we secure a better future for our youth and for those that... Um, are yet to be born and you know our teachings and stuff all talk about those things too but in the non-native communities and whether it's the urban areas or the small local communities that surround our our reservations and our trust lands we're always having these these conversations about who we are as indian people and so it seems like in some ways we're always having to start at square one step a of indian 101 who we are and where our place is, but for me, I've seen how artistry and creativity is an incredible doorway to deeper conversations, and many people out there are open to learning more and understanding more, because I think in learning about us, they see something in themselves that maybe is missing, like, wow, these guys have such a rich culture, or their family ties are so incredible, I wish that we had that, so I think our relevance stretches well beyond our homelands, well beyond urban areas. And as Hattie was saying, you know, we're global. Indi indigenous cultures 
have something to say about humanity at large. So I think our art um, is just now beginning to see sort of a renaissance or uh, an acceptance uh, by people that at one time never really considered who we were, let alone oh. what the beautiful things we make. All right, a renaissance of Native art. Thank you, Jason. And, and Hattie, back to you. Tell us more about your evolution as an artist. Were you always interested in doing mixed media? <laughs> um, well, I can remember I've been making things. So, uh, yeah, I guess I've always been doing mixed media, but actually I thought at one point I'd be more um, oil painting and um, representational, more art um, imagery. And then I actually went to undergrad for graphic design. So then I thought I would just be in the design world. And now I'm back. I came back to grad school and did um, an emphasis in painting, which morphed into the more mixed media and fiber art. And um, so it's it's been a long journey, but I am ex I'm feeling like this mixed media right now that I'm making is what I was supposed to be doing. And it took all those other iterations of my practice to get where I am now. And Hattie, one of the challenges that I always see or, or think of artists must face is, is on one side, you've got your personal inspiration and what, what you want to do and what's what you feel motivated to create. But on the other side, you've got an audience and you must have to think about what their expectations are as well. So as an artist, do you, do you have to struggle with that balance at all in, in terms of what you want to create and then also what maybe an, an audience or, or a viewer might see? Yeah, I am always thinking about it. I would say I I take note of which part of my art practice or which media relates to more people. But I've also been surprised that no matter what I do, there's somebody that, that is like, oh, this really spoke to me or this is my favorite piece you made. So it's kind of freed me in in being in um like exhibitions and having my art out there more and hearing those reactions has kind of freed me because I realized that one person may not like it, but somebody else might. So I do sometimes have to spend more time in my studio on one kind of art because maybe a curator or a class or something is asking me to do a specific thing. But then um, I also just cycle through other medias when I have time um, but yeah, I've also ha had the journey of when I switched from representational um, art, then my family's like, well, why aren't you painting mountains anymore? And <laughs> I still get comments <laughs> like that. Um, but I, I just have a piece that what I'm making now is what I'm supposed to be doing. But it's taken me a long time to get there. So for visitors who will see your piece, uh, the encyclopedia covers, and like I say, I've got a picture of it right now. It's beautiful. I love the design. What do you hope they take away w when they look at this tomorrow? Hmm. Um, just to, I don't know, see objects around you and that you can make it into anything from your own from your own perspective. It doesn't have to stay what it was it doesn't have to have the same information inside of it like the encyclopedia entries and um instead i'm putting my own narrative on top of it kind of so um i just encourage people to look around them use what you've got use what your family has um 
objects and materials can always tell a new story if you're if you're going about it. Well, thank you, Hattie and Jason as well. Appreciate both of you joining the conversation. And Deborah, as we wind down the show, I'm going to go back to you and give you the last word. And I know earlier you had mentioned that that the dream here is ultimately to create some type of an art center that includes a lot of different working elements to, to what you have here with the Center for Native Future. So in the last minute or so, if you could tell us a little bit about how you envision that future to, to unfold and uh, what it could possibly look like here in the next 10 years. Oh, geez. Yeah, that's a big... <laughs> um, yeah, you know, I I think we, we need to have our own building. Um, you know, I think that's going to come down to doing a lot of fundraising or, um, you know, having folks that um, you know, believe in us and believe in, in what we're doing and supporting. I mean, I, I think there's so many funders out there that have just, you know, um, they've not supported Native art in the way that they should be. And, you know, we're here and, you know, we, we can use that kind of support. We can use, um, you know, support of uh, people here in Chicago, you know, like um, I think just I would love for us to just find a building that, you know, we can rehab and, and turn into kind of a, like our own kind of land back um, thing, you know, like with, with a building mm -hmm. and then, but, you know, we're making it an art center. So, um, I mean, we're fortunate to have the space that we're in right now, um, okay. but yes, we would absolutely love a bigger building. <laughs> all right. Okay. Well, that is unfortunately all the time we have for our show today. Let's give a big thank you to guests, Deborah Yepa Papan. Jason saw Hattie Lee Mendoza, and Noel Garcia for giving us a glimpse into our future through art. Join us next week for another round of discussions about Indigenous issues and topics. Our executive producer is Art Hughes. Our producers are Andy Murphy and Sol Traverso. Marino Spencer is the engineer. Joe McPoland is the digital producer. Nola Daves Moses is the distribution director. Bob Peterson is the network manager for Native Voice One. Clifton Chadwick is our National Underwriting Sales Director. Antonia Gonzalez is the anchor for National Native News. Charles Sather is our Chief Operations Officer. And the President and CEO of Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation is Jacqueline Salee. Have a safe, relaxing weekend. Do you want to start, manage, or grow your small business? The U.S. Small Business Administration can help. The SBA was a true partner for us, and that's how I was able to grow the business. You can get free counseling. You can get help with finance, understanding your books, marketing and strategies. And there's lots of mentors that can help you reach the next level of your business. For your small business needs, go to sba.gov start. All SBA programs and services are extended to the public on a non-discriminatory basis. Support provided by Amerind. Amerind is 100% tribally owned and partners with tribes and their businesses to provide affordable commercial insurance coverage, protect tribal sovereignty, and strengthen Native American communities by helping to keep dollars in Indian country. Information about property, liability, 
commercial auto, and workers' comp available at amerind.com. That's A-M-E-R-I-N-D.com. Native America Calling is produced in the Annenberg National Native Voice Studios in Albuquerque, New Mexico by Kwanak Broadcast Corporation, a native nonprofit media organization. Funding is provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting with support from the Public Radio Satellite Service. Music is by Brent Michael Davids. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.